Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love our show, share it with your friends and join us in the EU VC community syndicates at theeuropeanvc.com. Today, we're happy to welcome John and Machik. John founded FFVC back in 2008. FFVC is a leading New York City-based VC firm, which has demonstrated success scaling global tech businesses. And you might be asking, a US-based fund in the European VC pod? Stay tuned for a tiny bit more and you'll understand why. My chick, our other guest, is a partner at FFVC and has over 12 years of experience in investment banking and MMA. Based in Poland, Maciek is one of the two partners leading FFVC's European arm in Warsaw. FFVC Warsaw works in conjunction with the rest of the FFVC network to bring Poland to everything that FFVC has done over the past 12 years in the US. If you enjoy our content, do support us by hitting the follow button, giving it a review and following us on LinkedIn. Want to be on top of who the best up-and-coming emerging VCs in Europe are and maybe even invest with them? Register for our newsletter at theemergingvc.substack.com and be the first to get in the know. Magic, John, welcome to the show. It's great having you here. Thanks for having us on. Thanks for having us. It's an absolute pleasure. So guys, before we start, I just want to take the time to hear a bit more about you and how you guys found each other. I love the stories about how funds come to be and, and how teams come together. So maybe, John, start us with the story. What is FFVC and then where does the name come from? So it's kind of interesting. FFVC is a seed and early stage venture capital firm at our core. We've been around since 2008. We started off in the US and two years ago, we opened an office in Warsaw and well, that's the purpose of uh, digging in here. But let me give you a little bit of background on the firm itself. I happen to have been at Goldman Sachs for 21 years and I started angel investing in December 99. And by the time I left Goldman, I'd made more money on a realized basis in angel than I had working at Goldman 21 years and said, maybe I shouldn't be spending 2% of my time on this. Maybe I should be spending a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> we started the firm myself and my partner, Alex Katz, back in 2008. And we really focused in the U.S. fund from this sort of seed to late A, early B stage. It's earlier than most other VCs. And what we didn't do that most VCs do is move on from doing seed to A to doing A to B, to doing B to C and getting later stage. We really like this early stage. We think it's an area where there's a tremendous amount of opportunity. And because we have so much data, we were able to test a theory that if you're really engaged, and every VC talks about being engaged, and we have our own flavor of it, you can lead to outsized performance. And, you know, we tend to invest where there's no revenue and, you know, no uh, market cap. Well, what we found is half of our seed-funded companies end up going on to raise a Series B. Now, in the industry, you'd expect a third to raise a Series A and 10% to raise a B and one go public. So we're running about five times the average. Another statistic that surfaced recently is about 10% of our companies get to, so far, the clock's still running, 100 million revenue run rate. 
And that seems to be at least 10 times the average in the industry. Uh, though there's some metrics that point that out further. And so what that leads to is we have a couple of top decile funds, we have a top quartile fund, but as VCs, you know, there's a smile curve in returns. And so we won't know until we get to the end of life of the funds really where the metrics sit, but they're all pointing in the right direction. On a mark basis, we've had exits about 2.8 billion value and our portfolio companies in aggregate are worth about 15, 15.8 billion. And they're generating, you know, 1.1 billion, 1.2 billion revenue run rate. So there's a lot of value that's being created in the system. And that's kind of fun. And we looked to Europe and we said, you know, we're US focused, but the world's flat. It's unevenly distributed, but it's flat. Where are the pockets in Europe where there's something really interesting going on? And we thought Central Eastern Europe was fascinating. We thought what was going on in Warsaw, the sort of nascent ecosystem reminded us of what was happening in New York 15 years ago in terms of government leaning in, in terms of educational institutions, engineers, culture, large tech companies that um, had established there, mentors in the system. And we thought it was really interesting. And so... Those were the dynamics uh, behind it. And then the last question you asked, which is FF, where's that come from? Uh, FF stands for founder friendly, which is a term that's been parodied a bit over years. But we really, <laughs> you know, when we invest in the company, we explain to founders that if we're on your cap table, you're five times more likely to get to a Series B. There's something we're doing. And we can dig in in this later in your questioning on what we do. The alliteration of two lowercase f's came from a story uh, many years ago of my father where uh, he's got his private pilot's license. He started flying. Yeah. And his friends got him a flight bag because back in those days, everything was analog to keep his maps and slide rule and everything else you'd have as a pilot. And they, on the side of this leather bag, they had got vinyl letters that they had bought and stuck on the side, but they only bought the lowercase ones. And it said, fly, rancor. <laughs> and then you know, subsequent to that, with my father, there would be alliterations related to two lowercase Fs. And so when founded the company, it, it made sense to just honor uh, them in that way. I love those stories because, you you know, there's no one else who can tell those stories than the founders. So I, I love getting them on this show. Thanks a million, John, for bringing that up. Maciek, I'd love to kick it now to you because you're the Polish arm of this team. Tell us a bit about you, how you got into VC and how you came to meet John and the team. The first element of that question, you know, r relates to, you know, why that is that FFVC, you know, was sort of set up in Poland. And it, to some extent, you know, John has alluded to that and we're seeing that, you know, there is a big opportunity in the market. Poland in particular is ahead of an inflection point. And that's one part of the story. Uh, I, I suppose, you know, the second part of the story is that we're Polish and our third partner, Mariusz, is also Polish. And actually, you know, my personal story, as the case usually is, was an accident. I met uh, Mariusz at a conference. Mariusz back then had been with FFBC for quite some time. You know, he had uh, worked in the U.S. before. We started talking and actually, you know, back then 
in my previous life, I was still an investment banker, but was fresh out of executive management program at HBS and was inspired to do something of my own, inspired, you know, to start building durable value. And actually, you know, back then, venture capital seemed like an absolutely perfect place to realize those type of ambitions. So for me personally, you know, to join this ship and actually start building our presence here in uh, Europe uh, was an opportunity that I didn't want to miss. And it was a great decision, you know, I can say this far. We're definitely, you know, sort of excited about being here and building FFBC's presence NCE and the rest of Europe. So before we dive into, of course, the obvious topic of this conversation, which is why the hell does a U.S. investor come to Europe and then double down so much on CE? You know, I think that you've said a lot of things by now, but but there's a lot to uncover there. But before we go there, I'd love to ask you and challenge you a bit to tell us what have been the core learnings going from the U.S. and establishing another office on another continent and just draw out the core learnings for us. There are people you speak to who want to found companies. You talk to them about it and they say, well, I'm worried about this, I'm worried about that. And they build this mountain of problems and they never launch a company. You know, the advice to them is, well, just do it and you'll find out what actually works and doesn't work and see if it works for you, etc. We're a few years in now and I'm surprised that it wasn't more difficult. Yeah, we've had pandemic interrupt us, right? Which has kind of messed some stuff up, like flying back and forth. And we've been getting back to that now. But we've really been able to maintain a single culture and a single team approach, despite the geography. And I think that is really good. And then when we meet the teams, obviously we met the teams over Zoom and the like, we meet the teams in person, uh, we're really surprised at how strong and robust these companies are. And I, you know, I, you would have expected a bigger difference between Europe and the US, and it's really very small. Uh, there's some cultural nuances, and there are always local differences and the like. But fundamentally, we've been really impressed by the team, we're impressed by the companies, and surprised that it wasn't more difficult to get to where we are today. If we double-click on the cultural issues there, what would you say have been the, the biggest? What is it that people need to be aware of? Let's start by my personal good fortune, mm-hmm. which is though I don't speak Polish, yeah. everybody speaks English. Yeah. So communication has been you know, just incredibly good in that regard. We've had to navigate a legal landscape that's not set up for VC. And I try and remind people in the US, so every now and then I get the opportunity to speak to uh, a congressman or a senator, and I try to remind them how fragile the venture community is. You know, what's venture, right? Venture are people working incredibly hard for a number of years to help grow a business on the hope that they might earn some carry in the future. In the US, that's the model, and you know, there's a saying, the majority of VCs in the U.S. have never seen Harry. Yeah. But they've worked for years on this belief of this big payout. Now, but that's the American dream, right? So that, in that way, it's very parallel to the American society. <laughs> right. And the payout is dependent on fragile tax laws yeah. and 
how people respond to legal contracts. I mean, you know, if I piled up legal contracts and fill up this room, but, you know, we've never sued anyone against them. So it's kind of weird. We spend all this time with lawyers. So, you know, because the nature of venture is we give people money and they give us pieces of paper. Yeah. Right? And we hope at some future date to give them back pieces of paper and hopefully they give us more money than we gave them. It's a very tenuous, fragile ecosystem in the U.S. where it's most established. So when you go to Europe and you look at some of the laws there, uh, taxation, legal structure, and the like, they're not necessarily well set up yet. And we would love to help folks reconfigure some of the structures to make them better because, honestly, it's very fragile. And if in the U.S. you change the laws to the way they are in Europe, I think the ecosystem would be much smaller. I think less people would be willing to work for six, seven, ten years on the hope that this whole thing's going to work at the end without some of the structures we have here. Yeah. That's an element as well with regard to Europe that you can't control. Yeah. You know, you brought culture into this internally, but I'd also imagine that you've encountered startup culture uh, and investment culture differences between the U.S. and CE because we always see that the more developed the ecosystems become in Europe, the more, should we say, U.S. market conform the term sheets start becoming and the investor sentiment starts becoming. I'm curious to hear your thoughts around having experienced both the New York ecosystem and the one in, in Warsaw, Poland. So there's lots to unpack there. Venture in the U.S. is not homogeneous. It's heterogeneous. It's yeah. very different. Late stage is different than mid-stage, different than early stage. In each stage, there are different players with different approaches. They have different tool sets that they use. Within the U.S., I kind of feel that each major city tends to spawn a different type of culture of a venture itself. Yeah. Interesting. So I think Chicago is different than LA, is different than San Francisco, is different than New York. So understand that it's very different here. Now, when we look to Europe, it's too early to tell, but our expectation is that because of being fewer big wins, CEOs and founders, some will not target big wins. Yeah. If they're looking to exit for 20, 30 million and they get paid three, four million. That's great. It's life-changing, and that's what they're going for. You know, our model, we're trying to build companies that are billion-dollar companies, and we want to make the CEOs worth hundreds of millions of dollars. They either they don't believe it's possible or they get too comfortable too early or they don't have the drive. I'm not saying that's all, but I'm saying that's a filter that, that one, one has to think about. And it's important because once you invest, you and the founder are going to be working together a long time. You know, we like to say longer than the average marriage in the U.S. And it's more difficult to divorce. So you want to have an alignment of objectives. But we're looking to build very big companies. We think that's possible. and We think there's a number within our portfolio that are on that path. But it is a filter you need to think about a little bit more. I was about to say, I don't know if, if I think it's uh, more difficult to divorce, but it's definitely more expensive. <laughs> I'd love to ask because, yes, investor sentiment or, or startup sentiment is then different, but investor sentiment 
is as well, right? So finding co-investment partners that are on the same journey as you and making sure that you come in before, you know, the parties that may be pushing founders in another direction than the one you are might have been difficult for you, I imagine. That's at least what I've been finding in Denmark, that it's not every angel investor that wants the founders to go for that billion dollar exit because they'd actually rather have a more secure return profile. Right. And so it's a matter of selection. I mean, I will tell you that globally, we look at somewhere around about 3,000 companies a year, and we maybe invest in 10 to 20. So it, it is a matter of self-selection on both sides, from the founders looking for what we're doing and what we're looking for from the founders. When we first started looking at Warsaw, we sat down with one of the large international law firms have been there for a while. We said, talk to us how taxation works. They said, okay, this is it, 19%, blah, 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 blah. We go, how do you tax carry? And there was this long pause. <laughs> and then, you know, the tax specialist at the end of the room sort of puts his hand up and he goes, we've never seen carry. <laughs> so... There can be a cultural dynamic different that some VCs are in it for management fees and a comfortable job, and they're not looking to grow really large businesses where if they put invest a million dollars, it's worth a hundred million dollars, and they get paid you know twenty percent of that, so twenty million dollars. Okay, they're not looking to do that. Mm -hmm. They're looking for the next decade to have. A very comfortable job they invest, and if something works out, great. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's all at all, no, no. but it is a risk, particularly with some of the government money that's there, because government money is allocated by definition by folks who are less on the risk-taking profile because they mm -hmm. work in government, and they may tend to select people who are less on the risk profile. So that's a dynamic, and we have to be sensitive to that as well. When we succeed, we're looking to be up 50 times, 100 times, 150 times on the investment. Not every investment. I mean, well, yes, every investment would like to be that. <laughs> you know, our expectation isn't every investment works out like that. But as I mentioned earlier, 10% of our companies got to 100 million revenue run rate. And if that number's still growing, it'll get a multiple. And that will lead to, you know, very high returns on, on those investments. Yeah. You brought in government money uh, there <laughs> as a topic. And, and, you know, that's, of course, uh, on the LP side, interesting to also dive a bit into how do you see fundraising in Europe versus the U.S.? The definition of a venture capitalist is someone who fundraises and every now and then gets to invest. So every geography has its own fundraising dynamics. Every tier and group that you raise from have their fundraising dynamics. But fundamentally, you're looking for people who are willing to trust you with their capital over a long period of time, and you're looking to generate uncorrelated returns to them that can fit in with the overall portfolio. So again, just as working with founders is self-selection, working with LPs is self-selection, finding the right folks out there that are looking for what you're offering. And you know, we've been fairly lucky and successful with our partners in Poland. We think they're really good folks and we think we're delivering for them what they're looking for. Not just returns will take time to prove out, but in other things they're looking for as well in terms of insights and communication 
and education and the like. So I'm going to put us back on track here. <laughs> and, you know, Andreas has been hinting to it a bit. And, you know, John, you talked a bit about it. Magic, you talked a bit about it. But I want to deep dive into it. So U.S. investor and been around for some time. The decision to come to Warsaw, right, to have your operations there, I'd really like to hear that story, how it came to be. I'd love to follow up with some questions about what exactly is exciting you in, in detail. But, you know, what, what is the story behind it? How do you go from not being there and then suddenly now you have a team there? I'll break that into two pieces and I'll try and keep this short. Most VCs tend to go and build larger funds and go later stage. We like the earlier stage. We understand it in the U.S. We went to look to Europe as to where there were opportunities. We came across Warsaw, which we really liked. And we build up a presence there. The natural next thing is maybe we'll go to somewhere in Asia or somewhere in Latin America and do the same. We like the idea of building a global seed stage footprint as an approach to finding unusual returns for our LPs. And it's a different approach. At some level, it seems much more difficult. We think it's less difficult than it seems. We've been surprised, like I mentioned earlier that it wasn't more difficult. For us, we're seeing a lot of synergistic benefits by being in, you know, having office in New York and in Warsaw with regard to the returns we can generate for our US LPs, the returns we can generate for our European LPs. And we're building what we believe is going to be an incredibly strong brand in Central and Eastern Europe on the back of this. And if, I, if I'm an investor and I have to think in terms of five, 10-year plays when I invest in a startup, I should be thinking the same way in terms of building the firm. And we think there is tremendous opportunity in Central and Eastern Europe. You know, the drive and the cultural leanings and understandings of people in Central and Eastern Europe and what they want to do. And then I mentioned earlier, the world is flat. You know, when I grew up as a kid, having Encyclopedia Britannica was an advantage. Now you've got the sum of human knowledge in your hand. It's ridiculous. You know, if I want to go and build a windmill, I've got all the data there. If I want to build a solar farm, I've got all the data. If I want to start a company. And this isn't talked about enough. But the folks who have come from under the yoke of the Soviet Union want to build, want to be capitalists, want to grow large companies, and they're really good folks. There's just this this drive. You know, Warsaw is a great place to do that. Now, unfortunately, we've got this Russian aggression in Ukraine. I don't use that to understate it. I just, you know, we've got that going on. And we have companies with footprints in Ukraine, so we're very familiar with what's going on on the ground. That is only going to make Warsaw and Poland stronger over time. The amount of resources and capital and both financial and intellectual going to be there will be amazing. You know, I really want uh, Magic to talk about this. But our fund doesn't just invest in companies physically in Poland, but we have them throughout Central Eastern Europe as well. And they're just amazing people. They're doing amazing things. I mean, I, there, there are many stories we've heard from founders that, you know, these people are going to change the world. Magic, I wanted to throw it to you right now and ask you, you know, you're probably um, 
a big advocate <laughs> for this small <laughs> detail of why is Warsaw the place to start building FFVC's uh, global uh, fish stage footprint in Europe. I'd love to hear the pitch. <laughs> How do you put it? Absolutely. And I think, you know, the most important, you know, part for me, you know, why Warsaw is that we're Polish. I think, you know, that was also, you know, a strong factor here. But, you know, jokes aside, you know, as, you know, indicated already, you know, we, we believe that, you know, this market is really onto something. And there's so much stuff that is, you know, cooking below the radar and people are not realizing yet across Europe and across the, the sort of world. But we're absolutely positive that you will be seeing emergence of startups at later stages, you know, in the future that will be really achieving, you know, excessive results. And, you know, there is, you know, fundamentals, you know, to support this. We have really excellent academia. We really have top-notch software developers, top-notch AI experts. The software developers, you know, consistently win the rankings and, you know, five of out of, you know, top 15 countries globally with top talent pool in software, you know, come from CE. So there's definitely, you know, sort of support in terms of the talent pool that will take us places. But, you know, as sort of, you know, mentioned, you know, there's not only, you know, sort of CE that we're investing in. Uh, actually, you know, we've invested, we can say, you know, in 14 startups out of our uh, European fund. And actually, you know, three of those are Estonia-based, uh, two are Germany-based, one is French, and there's one Irish-based. We're continuing to look for startups in the DAC region. We're continuing to talk to startups in the Benelux region. So to some extent, Warsaw is the hub for our European operations. And, and you know, most likely than not, you know, we will continue to have a significant exposure to Warsaw and the CE region. But definitely the mandate and our approach is to build something on a sort of European basis and be that bridge, as we're saying, you know, for European founders relatively early on to help them to go to the U.S. market. And to some extent, you know, this is the, the learning that we are also here taking is that we are probably unique in this approach. And, and John was also alluding to that before, that we are, you know, definitely early stage but already at an early stage, we are we are helping you know our startups you know to to go to the U.S. and we're we're not waiting you know, your Series B or your Series C you know till you achieve you know some sort of critical mass. We're doing that relatively early on because we believe you know that the, the growth you know can be optimized you know if this is sort of being relatively early on tailored to, towards your end markets. We have an aggregate about eighty nine portfolio companies. So you bring another company in. You're bringing them into a network. You're plugging them into our platform. Let me touch on a couple of things that we've done that we think really help make a difference. We have a platform of 100, 200 events a year. So we bring round tables around subject matter experts, bring them in or talking about getting all our B2B sales leaders together and talking about that. We have a newsletter that goes out to 33,000 people in the community our Give, Ask, News newsletter, and that we can again use to connect what's going on in Europe with what's going on in the US. We know a lot of VCs over here. And so the ability to help companies raise their, their Series A, their Series B, their Series C from US investors, that's something we enable as well. So we are this bridge 
And as, as Matchek said, really, I mean, I don't want to say unique. I'm sure there's someone else doing it. We just haven't found them. And also, to be quite honest, we've built some internal systems to enable this to happen. So we built something called Totem, T-O-T-E-M. If you go to totemvc.com, you can see what it is. But it's an operating system for a VC. And this really allows to keep everybody on the same page with regard to what's going on, with regard to deal flow, regard to financial reporting, cap tables, and the like. And we found that has also helped in our communication with regard to companies. If we invest in a company like Car Scanner or Ivy, which are a couple of our central European companies, I can certainly um, look and see all the latest information related to them. And likewise, Magic can see the latest information related to our US companies. So a common operating system really has helped as well. I actually want to ask a completely off script question just because I find it quite interesting because when we talk about Europe and setting up funds and jurisdictions and so on, Poland is not something that we hear about often <laughs> as a good place to go. And it's funny that you're talking about Totem VC and you know the focus on, on, on operations and making things work and efficient, blah, 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 blah. And then that you set up in that jurisdiction. And so a question I'd shoot to both of you is, is what was the reasoning behind, you know, because you could have your team based there and then the fund in, in Luxembourg, right? It wouldn't make any operational difference, right? This is one of my favorite questions. Why Warsaw? And I love the question because to us it's obvious and to everybody else it isn't obvious. We think it is a great jumping off point into Europe. We think it's nascent. We think you have all of the points that we've touched on before. Government leading in, large tech companies with bases there, great engineering talent, cultural dynamics, etc. We just think that it's the same question that people would have asked me 15 years ago. Why are you in New York? Now it's obvious. New York is number one, number two, depending on the metrics you build. It's overtaken Boston on many metrics, on some metrics, the Valley. We think Warsaw is an emerging area. And we think over the next 5, 10, 15 years, it'll become obvious to other people. You know, there's just so many dynamics about it that really make it the opportunity to be a very strong center for talent, capital, venture, and the like. I have a, a follow-up question. And so for, first, the kind of a, as a context setting, how was this process for you guys with your LPs in terms of precedent LPs in the U.S. structure, also wanting exposure to Europe that came? Or was it actually also a great way to find new LPs into your LP base that then kind of are joining the family? And then the real question I wanted to ask was, okay, LP perception, <laughs> right? Especially from US-based LPs. Uh, and I'm assuming that was the biggest makeup of your LPs. And I might be wrong in that assumption, right? <laughs> There's a choreography here. So we started by finding local LPs to solve a local problem with our technology and our capability. And then over time, as our US LPs are getting familiar with the opportunity set and the like, they're increasingly coming to us and say, you know, we've already signed off on FFVC and we've got this US product. We would like you to have a European product as well. And so it becomes natural. But there's a choreography here. As I said, this is part of a five, 10-year plan to build a business. 
just as if you do a startup that has technology that's applicable in five different places, you start with one and you focus, and then you do a second and you do a third over time. You know, we're building this up and we're building up the brand. From the Polish perspective or the European perspective, we're one of a few bridges into the U.S. And so if that's what you're looking for, we're the people to do that with. You know, the advantage of the U.S. is it's a very big market. Yeah. You know, it's 10 times the size of the Warsaw market, say. Bigger multiple of the Estonia market. It's five times the size of the UK market. It's a huge opportunity. Plus, there's deep pools of capital here. And so I keep coming back to this point. The world is flat. It's unevenly distributed. We're looking to take advantage of that and build the right arbitrages in place to enable our LPs to make a lot of money on an uncorrelated basis over time. And I think, you know, that capital efficiency story, you know, uh, in particularly plays well, you know, for the U.S. VCs, you know, in Poland and in the CE region and in particular plays well in the current environment. But, you know, to, to some extent, you know, that has been the story of this fund even beforehand. And, you know, actually has been evidence that, you know, CE startups are three times, you know, more cost efficient than uh, their Western peers. And to some extent, you know, this is, you know, part of the attraction that, that we're giving here. So we're enabling, you know, to build global U.S.-focused businesses for a fraction of the cost, uh, taking advantage of the relatively, you know, lower cost base of developers, but also, you know, the whole ecosystem. You know, the costs are, you know, simply lower here, whereby the talent is and par, if not, you know, better in some instances. So from the sort of, you know, capital efficiency perspective and ensuring that you have sort of longer runway to achieve your results, this is actually, you know, a pretty compelling opportunity for our LPs. I'm actually happy you commented on that, Maci, because I was going to ask you to comment on that, but also on something that John brought up, which was the impact of the Ukraine aggression on the positioning of Warsaw and Poland as an ecosystem. I'd love to hear your thoughts around that as well. Well, you know, uh, we are definitely, you know, actively looking into, you know, sort of what is going on in the in the Ukrainian ecosystem and are, you know, extremely, you know, positive on, you know, what is going on over there. And, you know, we're, we're seeing that, you know, the, the startups are continuing to thrive in the current environment. We're obviously seeing that some of them will be having some capital issues related to either, you know, the cap table, related to the fact that, you know, some of their existing shareholders come from Russia, related to the fact that maybe in the current environment, you know, their existing investors will not have the liquidity to continue deploying capital. From that perspective, you know, there will be a demand, you know, for additional capital to step in. And, and we definitely want to play an active role in terms of, you know, shaping and, and spurring that ecosystem. And actually, I think, you know, Warsaw is a natural, you know, hub to sort of, you know, be there for Ukrainian uh, ecosystem, even though a lot of the companies and a lot of the startups, you know, continue to stay and operate out of Ukraine, out of the, their Western parts. The founders realize that if they want to grow the business, you know, they still need to travel when they go on their fundraising rounds. And when they, you know, actually start fundraising, Warsaw is their first natural pit stop. So, we, you know, we're meeting a lot of founders. Uh, we're seeing that a lot of VC professionals from the Kiev ecosystem are already, you know, operating out of Warsaw. 
So naturally, we are very well positioned to play a role. And probably last but not least, what is an important element of all of that is that, you know, from the perspective of Ukrainian founders, U.S. has always been the natural sort of first market when they decided to internationalize. For them, you know, going after the EU market or a U.S. market was actually, you know, the same decision because, you know, it, it's a, it is a totally different jurisdiction. But U.S., you know, presented for them, you know, simply a bigger opportunity. So they usually have been going, you know, to the U.S. already. Actually, if you look into the statistics, 70% of Ukrainian startups were Delaware registered. That just, you know, gives you a sense that they have, you know, historically been, been really, you know, sort of U.S. focused. And us, by, you know, the virtue of the, the bridge that we've built and are continuing to build, are, you know, particularly world positioned to, to actually, you know, help, be helping and working, you know, with these founders to help them to push towards the U.S. So before we go to the quick fire round, if anyone in our audience picked up on uh, us saying uh, Russian aggression and stuff like that instead of calling it a war, uh, let's just uh, make completely clear that uh, we <laughs> at the European VC are all very much behind the Ukrainian side of this conflict and we are ready to say hashtag fuck Russia at any time. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, I will put it this way, yeah. we're on the same side. There are lots of things that we can do and have been doing working with the founder community there that we're not going to talk about. You know, and, and we are concerned that this spills over. Yeah. We're very hopeful it does not. Yeah. But this is an unprecedented horror, yeah. pure and simple. With that, let's jump to the quick fire round. 30, 60 seconds per question. Are you ready, guys? We're ready. Yes. First question is, what areas excite you the most that other people don't really feel that excited about? And John, feel free to start. We've been spending a lot of time on drones and robotics over the last decade. We've got a half dozen or so investments. We're very excited about the opportunity there. The miniaturization goes into cell phones, really creates that. Applied AI within enterprises also is fascinating and it's just becoming, you know, part of the architecture of things you see. And then finally, we invest based on a change in behavior of people and disruption from the pandemic. Government responses to that have really changed how people think about homes, how people think about offices, how people think about work. So that intrigues us as well. And then lastly, uh, privacy or privacy. We're excited to find people trying to address those problems. I would add that, you know, given the fact that, you know, we are particularly focused on the scalability aspect and transferability into the U.S., we we do predominantly focus on businesses, you know, with a strong, you know, B2B angle. Those B2B angles, you know, may be addressing, you know, verticals in particular, which have been, you know, neglected from a digital layer perspective. And there's a number of industries which historically have not really adopted digital. And for them, it wasn't nice to have, but right now is becoming a must have. And, and we are really looking into those opportunities whereby the sort of verticals that these B2B software SaaS companies are addressing are creating, you know, sort of, or have a blue ocean to actually, you know, expand and build really big business. Second question, what are your top tips for emerging VCs who are fundraising? And Maciek, feel free to start. The quick answer is you need to have a differentiated product. 
differentiated and diversified product. To some extent, you know, there's a number of funds which are sort of, you know, pan-European, sector agnostic. And if you're trying, you know, to differentiate from that or you really need to show, you know, to your LPs that you're giving them the diversification because otherwise, you know, they're just going to be investing in essentially the same startups that, that all the rest are investing. That's a very good point. One of our uh, uh, the funds that we're investing in in our syndicates said, well, one of our main differentiation points to LPs was, well, they only got the geographic exposure that we promised them with us. <laughs> Typically, you invest in a European, pan-European fund, and you expect to get pan-European, and you end up getting Berlin and London. <laughs> so, yeah, very interesting. Now, John, do you want to come in with any uh, any top tips for emerging VCs? I, I think transparency is important. Also, understand this is a very long game. You know, I've been doing this 14 years. I was angel investing for a decade prior. I still don't know if I'm any good. I probably don't know if I'm any good till I retire. I mean, it's just a long, long game. And so if you're going to start becoming a VC in your 20s, gosh, more power to you. Because if you're not good at it and you spent your 20s and your 30s doing something you're not good at, that's a pity. The other thing is, it's very easy to start a fund. The end of lifing, the... All the, all the complexities that you have to deal with are in your legal docs. So do make sure you actually read them <laughs> and understand them. You know, just that little thing. Now, and that's a good point. And that is why having clever LPs can be quite valuable as well, because they are the ones that can bring you through that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good. Final question, guys. What can we expect in the future from you? And John, feel free to start. The wonderful thing about venture is it compounds. And the wonderful thing about compound curves is they do nothing for a long period of time and then suddenly do a lot. So, you know, we're patient people, but, you know, our large companies are getting very large. That really encourages people with regard to the opportunity set in front of them. We're at a really interesting point in the firm. I think you're going to come back in three or four years and you're going to see what looks like a lot of newness and innovation, uh, funds targeting different areas and the like. But the seeds of that have been planted many years ago. So I think you're going to see a lot of interesting things going on here. And that was also a top tip to emerging managers about how they can explain to their spouses why they have yet to make any money. It compounds, honey. It will happen just in a couple of years. <laughs> Magic, feel free. We're in a business where we're looking for exponential outcomes. And exponential outcomes are like that, right? You've got uh, lilies growing on a lake and they fill the whole lake. And let's say they're doubling every day. You know, one day ago is half a lake. Two yeah. days ago is quarter lake. You, you go back 10 days, it's like just something in the corner there. Yeah. So that's how these things work. But yes, that's how it is. Honey has to be paid. <laughs> go, go, Magic. Sorry. The first fund that we opened in Warsaw, you know, was always supposed to be the stepping stone for new funds that we intend to open in Europe. We're definitely, you know, actively looking into expanding our operations here in Warsaw, into expanding, you know, beyond Warsaw into other European geographies. So I would say that, you know, next months and years are, are definitely going to be us, you know, sort of, you know, doubling down on, uh, on the European region as a whole, as a region. Does that mean if we have a uh 
emerging managers listening in and they like what you guys are saying and they believe in the thesis, then, then they should reach out. Is that what you said? Absolutely. <laughs> we always like to talk to talented individuals, whether as, as partners or elsewhere. We couldn't agree more. <laughs> so do we. And that is basically what we do here at the European VC. So guys, thanks a million for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having us on and really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. You know, it was a pleasure and we really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of The European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love our show, share it with your friends and join us in the EU VC community syndicates at theeuropeanvc.com. Want to be on top of who the best up-and-coming emerging VCs in Europe are and maybe even invest with them? Register for our newsletter at theemergingvc.substack.com and be the first to get in the know.